Good morning, everybody. Uh, today, our subject is worship, and it's a very vast, um, large concept in the scripture. Um, but it gets to the source of purpose, uh, and the purpose of mankind is what we're going to learn about in this. Uh, and we are uh, what we call in grammar substance, substantives, and uh, that's a noun. Right? So a substantive is a noun, generally subject of a sentence. And every substantive, every noun has a purpose. Everything. Uh, microphone has a purpose. Uh, glasses have a purpose and so on. And uh, if you, you know, once you know that purpose, you know what to use it for. Uh, for mankind... We have a purpose, and from right the beginning we had this purpose, which was to worship God. And the reason why some of you and many in the world are spontaneously joyous and spontaneously good on a continuous basis is because you have come to know and understand your purpose. And so when things go awry or out of whack... Uh, it doesn't ever change your purpose. And because you know that, well, you are very often spontaneously happy. There's a lot of people in our world, and sadly amongst Christians, Christians as well, who are not spontaneously happy. And it's because they have not known their purpose. And this is very important. We may know of it, but if we don't actually know it, when there's, as we'll see in our study, there's, Several things that have to be in place for you to properly worship God. Uh, for a lot of people in Christianity, it's raising hands at worship service. And, and there's no, I, don't, I find nothing wrong with that. I don't personally do it. But, um, you know, but that is something that may help you worship. But in and of itself, no overt act ritual is that. I mean, even prayer can become a ritual and not actual worship of God. And prayer is key to the worship of God. In contrast to the purpose of mankind, which would be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven for all mankind, there are the kingdoms of the world. And the kingdoms of the world have their purpose. All right? So today's Super Bowl Sunday. Awesome. It's awesome for you, not for me, because the Patriots aren't in it, but, oh well, six rings, you know, I've had enough. But uh, the kingdoms of the world all have developed a purpose. And not here is an introduction, I won't go into that. <clears throat> I think you kind of know what that means. But within each kingdom or nation or city-state, the purposes are never united. You recognize, we see this, right? The purpose of a nation has never been united. There's always fighting. There's always conflict. In our nation, it's obvious. There's left and right. There's red and blue. There's elephants and donkeys. Whatever the purpose of a kingdom happens to be for a day, it will not last. Even when a kingdom starts off in freedom, it ends up in slavery eventually. Because with freedom comes prosperity, with prosperity comes 
uh, leisure and uh, comes uh, decadence, and with decadence comes slavery again. It happens over and over. It's because a purpose in a nation of people are never, is never purely from God. However, for an individual, a believer, you can know your purpose. And actually in small groups, like a church, a family, if everybody gets it, they worship God, then all know their purpose. And that's a very powerful organization. That's why God never needed numbers. In a small group of people, if they know their purpose, God works mightily in that group. And we do need groups. We need each other, which we'll see that as part of our purpose as well. Because if you worship God, you're going to serve one another, and we'll see. We'll see all of that. Now, we're going to pray, and what I want to do is, if you will, turn to Psalm 95. And in the, this is this psalm is you'll see why I want to read this. I, actually, I want to pray this. Right? So this is something that you can do, and I highly recommend it. Is to pray the psalms. You can change the words a bit so that it's directed towards God. And when you are doing this, you're praying God's words right back to Himself. <clears throat> now you may say, "Well, Pastor, if I close my eyes, how am I supposed to pray the psalm?" Well, technically, the Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes when you pray. So you can pray with your eyes open. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, with songs. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it is he who made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we, the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed, <laughs> I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger. Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. But we, and if you may, let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we do not have to be like that generation, none of us, nor this church. But we, Father, and sing to you in joyous and spontaneous joy because we know that we are called to worship you. And as we do so, Father, we serve you, we love you, and as we will see, we fear you. We have great respect and awe to all that you are because you have made the earth, the mountains, the seas, everything is the work of your hands. How can we stand against that or opposed to that? We must worship you. And so, Father, we do. 
And as we lift up our voices in song, we continue to do so. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All rise, please.
All right, let's go to Matthew 4. So we're um, in the process of going through the temptations of Christ uh, as they are listed in the Gospel of Matthew, which the Gospel of Matthew is our subject. Uh, We're going to go through the entire Gospel. And uh, here we're on the third temptation. And after two failures, a reminder that Christ has responded to both temptations with the Word of God, uh, understanding it and applying it truthfully, uh, both Those two passages and this final one are all from Deuteronomy. So in Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. There's always questions about what mountain could you possibly be on to see all the kingdoms. It could be a vision. It could be that he took him up in the atmosphere. Who knows? That's not the important point anyway. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus' response is a command. He uses the the Greek word as hupage. I love that. It sounds more forceful than go. Hupage. It means to depart. The fact that Satan is offering him the kingdoms of the world, if you bear with me for a second, let's think about as much as we can without going too far about what Satan's motivation is here. He's offering him what I would think what the devil treasures most, which are the kingdoms of the world. And perhaps this is a sign of desperation on his part. But of course, he wants to still be ruler of the world. We would not think that Jesus considered it even for a moment. But the lesson then becomes... Not that it was an option for Jesus which he overcame, but rather that Satan is ultimately weak and stupid. Now without God, we uh, now, sorry, without God, we are far weaker and stupider than Satan ever could be. But with God, we are far smarter than him. Satan cannot interpret scripture. You can. Satan knows all the scripture, knows it by heart, but he can't interpret it. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He cannot love God. So the lesson also becomes uh, the insight into the conflict between two kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of heaven. I do think that the de- uh, sorry, I do not think that the devil knows anything about redemption, what Jesus' real purpose is. That the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he knows this, he heard it. John has been saying it for months, John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But like Israel, he understands the, what Israel knows to be eschatology. Now, is, the Jewish eschatology at the time, which still continues, is as far as it goes correct. That the Messiah would come, the Messiah would conquer, the Messiah would judge between the righteous and the wicked, And then the Messiah would usher in the future age, which is the eternal age. To the Jews, there was this age and that age, two ages. And that's correct. The Messiah is going to come. He is going to conquer. He is going to judge. He is going to usher in a new heaven and new earth. But they're missing something, aren't they? And the disciples didn't understand it either. So how would Satan understand it? No one in Israel understand. They understood that the kingdom had to come. 
but none of them understood how. And the disciples, when Jesus, his closest friends, whom he taught for three years, did not understand how. When Jesus told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be mistreated, and die, that they're going to kill me, the disciples said, I, you know, what did Peter say? I forbid it. He didn't understand. None of them understood. Satan doesn't understand either. I'm confident that Satan doesn't think that what he's offering Christ is to bypass the cross because Satan doesn't know anything about it. Nobody does. Except for Jesus. So Satan may be, and again I'm I'm being as cautious as I can here, but Satan may be assuming that he's given the Messiah what he came to take. If you've come to rule the world, here, have it. If you've come to conquer and be king, have it. And you know what we can bypass? War. I mean, how is the Messiah going to conquer if no one wants him to rule? He's going to war. We know this to happen at the second coming. It's exactly how it's going to go down. No one will stand before him. In Isaiah 63, he comes from the east covered in red. And the prophet says, why are, you, why are you red? And he said, this is the blood of my enemies. He destroys millions. Satan says, look, we can bypass all that. I'll give you the kingdoms now. You can just have them. Neither the devil nor anyone besides Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit understood how Jesus was going to conquer In the opening of Isaiah 53, the fourth servant song, it says that he had no appearance that we would think he was anything, that we did not recognize him. Why? Because, well, we assumed a conquering Messiah, not a a carpenter from Nazareth, sorry. You're unqualified, Jesus, to be our Messiah. And when he fed 5,000, they said, let's make him king. You know, maybe he is qualified. But then Jesus started talking about the bread that came from heaven. And that if you ate this bread, you would never hunger again. And they said to themselves, well, that's not the bread that we're looking for. We want a king. Jesus would respond, I am. But there's no way that this kingdom exists unless you are redeemed. And there's no way you're going to be redeemed unless I lay down my life. That's how he conquered. That's how he conquers. And hence, the kingdom of heaven is so very different from the kingdoms of the world. And there's much to say about that. Isaiah 53, in light of that, what I just said, read Isaiah 53. It'll sing to you. There's much to say and know about both kingdoms. Much. The study of Human earthly kingdoms is vast. Very exciting, I think, if you're a lover of history. It just it bears itself out over and over. Uh, you know, what, what does man do? What does he want? What are, why is kingdoms? Man is a social being. He is. Somebody pointed out to me just not long ago that the, the God is a social being because he's a trinity. 
And I thought, you know, I've known this, but man, I never thought of it that way. That God is one, but yet three, and therefore God has a social aspect to him, and we're made in his image. Fallen man seeks to be alone too often. But in rea- even though we're fallen, we still seek out others. Relationships, we need them. To be part of a group, we need them. To be loved and to love, we need to do that. And mankind has, we've messed that up so badly. So, what we want to say about, at least, as I said, there's much to say about both kingdoms but one thing we can focus on is what Jesus does focus on here because Satan asked him to worship him. Is that in both kingdoms, there's worship. And this shows us that mankind is made to worship. We're created to worship. <coughs> but it's not like we're created to worship, so now we have options. You can worship God, you can worship yourself, you can worship money, you can worship sex, and so on. No. We were created to worship God. That's it. And when we fell, we started worshiping other things. And that nagging feeling within every human being that they must worship God is there. It's there. And that's why no human being has ever found any fulfillment or joy or completion or purpose in worshiping the false gods. It's never happened. Mankind must worship God. But in the kingdoms of the world, is there worship? Most certainly. And God called them idols. They are idols. They're religions, often. But there are also things that are not advertised as religion, like money, power, influence, sex, social life, economic life, political Think of how much politics is worshipped in our age, in this, in this culture. Everybody wants a seat at the table. Yeah? Rulers have used that desire of mankind to control people. Do what I say and I'll give you a seat at the table. But see, for you and I, if we worship God, we'd be like, I don't want your seat. I sit at the Lord's table. And by the way, he told me if I am offered a seat at the table, I'm supposed to take the last one. And then maybe someone will come in and tell me to move up. But you know what? I don't really care. Because, as Revelation 19 says, I'm going to sit at a table with my husband, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will be his bride forever. I am his bride. But you see, that's all a part of worship. You can know that, but you cannot live it. And that's what we have to get at here. So mankind must worship. There are, worship is an awesome word. You know what it literally means? To bow down. Now, for some of us, if we bow down, we ain't going to get up. Right, Keith? At least without help. But this, of course, again, some people think if I, you know, if I fall down. You know, you ever heard of A.W. Tozer? He's an, he's an apophatic. We, we talked about that the other day. But what an, he's an awesome, awesome writer. But A.W. Tozer was more mystical because he was into the mysteries of God. He loved, him, he loved the things that he couldn't know about God. And he wrote about them beautifully. 
But when Tozer prayed, he would put down, he's famous, known for this, he would lie down face down, hands spread out on the floor of his room and pray for, I guess, a long time. You know, and I, I thought, well, should I do that? I'm like, I don't really want to. But, you know, like if you did that, it would mean nothing because to Tozer, and I'm sure he was pure with this, it helped him to do what he wanted to do. But the thing itself, the discipline, the ritual, in and of itself is not worship. But you can do things that will help you. And... You know, sometimes these are frowned upon by people. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later. I don't want to get sidetracked. But we're going to talk about that this week. You know, what is worship? It's such a big topic. It has to be done all week. Other words that go with this awesome word worship, which means to bow down, is fear. Fear of the Lord. You know how many times fear of the Lord is in the Scripture? 278, I think. Mostly in the Old Testament, true, but it's in the New. To fear the Lord. So we, I'm, you know, it's always, it's a, I think it's a lifelong process to find out what that really means. Uh, service of the Lord is also a part of worship, and love of the Lord are all a part of worship. And I just take that straight out of Deuteronomy. That's not my definition. That's me reading Deuteronomy. In all of these passages, it means to worship, both in the New Testament and the Old, in Hebrew and in Greek. So notice Jesus' response. He says, Hupage, Satana. Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only. So he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, and the principle is that man was made to worship God. Uh, worship God and who else? Only. Man was made to worship God. That's it. You say, well, that's all I do is I worship God? Well, there's so much that goes into worshiping God that it includes much. It includes, it includes much, and we'll be looking at it, as I said this week. Man was made in God's image, right? But we're not equal with God. I mean, I think that's a no-brainer, but I guess it should be said that we're not equal with God, and so our relationship to God has to be in the framework of worship. There, uh, in, young, in young people in Christian circles, you hear things like, Jesus is my homeboy. The professors at Corbin, right, right they, uh, they kind of make fun of some of the students who, I have not heard, I'm in the higher classes, of course, you know, <laughs> of course, but I'm in the graduate program, but, you know, I've heard of this, calling Jesus J-Dog, Jesus is my boyfriend, J-Dog. I think there's an aspect to that that's absolutely true, you know, that you, you love him. You get it. But, see, when it, when it comes to worshiping God, you can't have just part of this and not the whole thing, which means fear of God. If you don't have fear of God, you're not worshiping God. If you don't have love of God, you're not worshiping God. 
you could have fear of God and not love of God. And that would make you afraid of God. Um, you know, so the whole thing has to be here. Right? And, so, and that's what we learn. So hopefully if you're calling, calling him J-Dog, you learn and you change. But it has to be in the framework of worship. So what about the fall? Well, were we fearing God in the garden? Adam and the woman. Adam and Eve, Ish and Esha, were they fearing God in the garden? Well, it depends. You know, I, I thought about this. It, for my first response, initial knee-jerk response was no. But then I, then I came across Isaiah 11, which is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect. And Isaiah 11 says that he feared God and that he loved to fear God. And so, right, the fact that we want to say no means that we're still trying to understand what fear of the Lord really means. The Lord Jesus feared God. Isaiah 11, I think it's from verse 4. So, what about at the fall? Well, at the fall, we need to worship him even more. Because now, we've got competition Things that vie for our affection. Satan's banking on it. He's like, Jesus, you don't have to go to war. I'll give you the kingdoms. Bow down and worship me, and then so I can stay ruler of the world. And Jesus wouldn't have considered this for a second. But in Satan's stupid mind, this is maybe a shot at deliverance for him, I would think. I get to still be ruler, and I'll give you the whole thing. And as we saw last week, can you imagine if Jesus won this year's election? He even beat Trump, and he didn't have to cheat. <laughs> he didn't need mail-in balloting or any of that. Uh, and, and then he said, you know what, I'm going to just take over the whole world. He wouldn't want it. It would make the world awesome. Make everything fair, make all the courts fair. Let's say he cleaned up, drained the swamp, drained every swamp. It would be awesome. And he would, be, he would say, that kind of world means nothing to me. You, if, if that's what you think is the final goal, which so many in the world think it is, if that utopia, so to speak, is what you think is the final goal, you have no idea what the kingdom of heaven really is. Because there's no kingdom of heaven unless all of you are just like me. Made in my image. And you know how you get that? By the grace of God. I'm going to die to give it to you. Now receive it and worship me. So God, uh, go to Deuteronomy 6. Jesus quotes this. Now here's where you can show yourself to be at the top of the class. There's something going to be unique here in uh, Deuteronomy 6. I'll give you a hint. In comparison to uh, Matthew 4. All right, so in comparison to what we just read, see if you can pick out something a bit different about this passage that Jesus is quoting in uh, 6.13.
You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall fear only the Lord your God and shall worship him and swear by his name. So what's different there? There's something different. In Matthew 4, the Lord responds, I've memorized, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But in Deuteronomy 6.13, it says you shall, what's that word? Fear. He changed it. Now, worship, uh, Moses does write worship after this. But in Jesus' quote, you don't see the word fear at all. In fact, he changed it. And if my New American Standard has the word only in italics, it's italicized, in italics, and that means it's actually not in the original. So Jesus adds that. Now, he's the Lord. He can do what he wants. It's his word. But I think also, I'd say very confidently, that Jesus is showing us here how the fear of the Lord and the worship of the Lord are one and the same. And that we've got to wrap our minds around. We've got to understand it. Because if we don't, your whole purpose, the purpose of your life, is to worship God. Now, many things go into that. Like your work and your study and your prayer and your just enjoying Him. You know, there's many things that go into that. But this is, if I don't get this right, then there's really no solid purpose to my life. I better get it right. And we can. We will. We have the scripture. We learned that this week, Deuteronomy 4. How are you going to get the fear of the Lord? Scripture. The word of God learned and understood is going to give you the fear of the Lord. But I'll show you a few others too. There's, a, there's things stated in the Word of God that say, this is what leads for you to fear me. And don't forget, our Lord did as well. But fallen man has perverted his worship. We're all made to worship, but we've perverted it. Number one, money. The love of money, root of all evil. Right? We worship it. We've got to worship something. So we're after money. It reminds me of Keith's joke with the guy who shows up at heaven with bags full of gold. And Peter says, why would you bring pavement to heaven? That's just stuff, paper, whatever. Ah, now, it's necessary. So we could all, you know, become monks. That's fine. I, I went to Mount Angel yesterday for the first time, ran into some monks. Or I don't know if they're monks. They're young guys training to be priests. Yeah. Like yeah, it'd be a cool place to live. Quiet, very quiet. <laughs> we even checked. I was like, do they have Wi-Fi here? I mean, uh, you know, and they do. They do. They have Mount Angel Wi-Fi, which I'm sure has filters on it, like you can't believe, right? <laughs> it's only I can't get on YouTube. Yeah, that, there's a reason. So anyway. <laughs> Perverted our worship in how many ways? There's money, power. I, I, I couldn't put, uh, since Super Bowl Sunday, I thought power I'll depict with a Patriots guy smashing 
That's a Patriot, and he's smashing the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. So if any of the McCabes are listening, that was for you. They love the Bills. Uh, what else? Sex. I was going to put a picture up. I'm like, what picture did I put up for sex? And then, and then God said, nothing. It's like, you're right, Lord. You're right. I, I, I went on YouTube. and I, Not YouTube. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. Google Images. I figured I'd get something that depicted, and then I put in, just in Google Images, I put in the word sex. Wow. Wow. I only spent about an hour or two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Pleasure. I thought this looked fun. It would make me sick as a dog, but uh, I get motion sickness. But uh, pleasure. It's something we worship. You know, people are after it. Social media is about pleasure. Click, 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 click. New thing, new thing, new thing. Click, click, click. New thing, new thing, new thing. It's designed this way. It's a distraction. We worship it. Politics. And, oh, leisure. That's another thing man worships. Doesn't that look awesome? I was thinking if I was in that hammock, I'd either fall out or sit up and hit my head on that tree probably, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, and now, is there anything wrong with any of these things? Not a one. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with sex. Nothing wrong with leisure. Nothing wrong with politics. Nothing wrong with any of it. Nothing wrong with power. God has power. He's got all of that. Except for the sex part, I guess. But, you know, all of it in its place under God's will Man, God has given it to man. Like in the sexual relationship, mankind has ruined this so badly, but Satan realized very early on that man would be addicted to this more than almost anything else. And so he perverted it. And I think most people would never really experience it the way that God would want it to be in marriage. Oh, and success. I think Is that my last one? Success. Oh, no, there's one more. We'll worship that. Anything wrong with success? No. But if it's your God, oh, it's awful. All of these things are evil masters. And the last one is self. I put the Game of Thrones throne on there. That's the throne from the Game of Thrones. Not that I didn't watch too much of that series, but, um, but I know the premise, right, of course. One vying against another, against another for power. And this is worship of self. And if you worship self, by the way, all the rest of them are involved. You have, and it's like in Rome, right? They would, if Rome conquered you, you were a different nation, they'd take, they wouldn't say get rid of your gods. They'd take your gods, a little statue or whatever, and they had a building in Rome called the Pantheon, and they would put it in there. They're like, we're just at it, right there on the shelf. And so we take all the gods and put them together. And, and in mankind, in his perverted worship, because he's fallen, he has a pantheon in here. And who sits on that throne keeps changing. We alternate them. We change out one, put in another. Change out one, we get sick of one, we put in another. And we do this throughout our lives. And what we've failed to recognize. 
is that our purpose is not even being sought at all. Because our purpose is to worship God. Let me get past these. So when a person fails to see that God alone must occupy the throne that he sits on, he's lost in darkness, blind. And, and the, one of the, my favorite images is, is used is a ship at sea that is lost. And you put, put the images together. A dark, in a dark storm, a ship at the mercy of the waves, completely lost, doomed to, doomed to sink and die. And that's mankind without a purpose. So important. Go to John chapter 9. Yeah, in, in light of this, um, that very thing about nations, kingdoms, worshiping, and, you know, not and changing out, right? You, you change, you go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. When Paul was, in Acts 17, Paul went to Athens. The Apostle Paul's in Athens and he's witnessing to them. And what he realized in Athens after he saw all these statues, which was in, around their pantheon, uh, which had, you know, Zeus and Apollo and, and, and all of those, and he's, there was a statue there that said to an unknown God. Unknown. See, even they understood that we're missing something here. There has to be someone, something that's above all of these that we worship. And Paul pointed to that unknown and he said, that is the God of the universe. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't believe him anyway. Look at 935. Chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, the man born blind is healed by the Lord. And this is the end, the very end of this back and forth that the blind man has with the religious leaders and Jesus does. So they kicked the blind man out of the synagogue, said, don't come back. Well, he's not blind anymore, right? So they said, don't come back. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he did what? Proskeneo. Worshipped him. Same Greek word that Jesus used. How long is he a believer for? Three seconds? He knew something. This is the Lord, the Son of Man. You know, and every Jew knows what that title means. It's Deuteron- uh, sorry, uh, Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> Jesus said, for judgment I came, verse 39, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Uh, the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Yeah, sorry. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? 
And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. They are a kingdom in and of themselves, these religious leaders in Israel. Though they don't technically possess their own kingdom, they're ruled by the Romans. But yet they have in their Sanhedrin their own built kingdom. And they all think they see. But they don't. They have put themselves on the throne of their soul. They think they have put God on the throne of their soul, but they have not. Because they have, it, and it should tell them immediately, because if God were on the throne of their souls, they would have read in Deuteronomy to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, what did they do to this man? Excommunicate him. They have no mercy to anyone who doesn't agree with them. Sound familiar in our culture? Right? It's, it's, a, it's an epidemic of mankind. If we're not worshiping, we're lost ships at sea. These guys are lost. They should be found, but they're lost. They're blind. Even though they think they see, they don't. We can see. Now go to John uh, 12. Yeah, 12. Look at John 12.35, just days before his death. John 12.35. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. He is the light. And if we don't worship Him, we're going to be caught up in our own darkness, the darkness of our choosing. Even as believers, we can be caught up in things that we should never have worshipped, ever. We're never designed for it. And it now... Thank God for the grace of God. As much of my Christian life, I have worshipped the wrong things. And thankfully, God has been patient and forgiving. And though I have suffered from my bad decisions, I will not share any of that with you. It's not necessary. But I have suffered greatly from my bad decisions. But God has been faithful. And to all of us, he is. Patiently waiting for us to understand. And you will. It takes time, but you will. Because you know, see, there's another word that we could add to this, which is also a worship of God, which is hope. Hope means I know you're going to show this to me. I know that this this light of yours is going to break through this thick, plate that's on the front of my skull. It's going to. I know it is. I'm just going to stick with you. And no matter how many times I fall, I'll pick myself up. I will be clean because you have made me clean and I will follow. And in the Word of God, that is shown to be something that God loves and is pleased with. Because what it has, at least, even though it's partial to being dumb, is 
humble. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, well, let's see what he said. Let's go to Matthew 16. The throne of your soul. Who do you worship? Sixteen twenty-four. <clears throat> now this is right after he said, "Who do the people say?" He's talking to the disciples. He says, "Who do the people say that I am?" Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist reborn. Okay, who do you say that I am? And there's silence. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, right you are, Peter. No man has revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. Then he said to his disciples, verse 20, let's go back to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Well, that's not how messiahs take kingdoms. Don't you know this, Jesus? How in the heck do you expect to conquer the Romans, the greatest empire in the history of the world, by dying or being, as he says here, uh, suffer many things. And so Peter, obstinate, kind of angry, Peter took him aside, verse 22, and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Now, some think he was talking to Satan, actually talking to Satan while looking at Peter. That may be. But regardless, how's Peter going to hear this? You're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on what? See, this is where worship lies. I'm interested in what God wants, not what I want. And boy, that's hard. It's a hard I am a realist, you know. But it must be done. It must be done. Or you won't have a purpose in life. You will spend decades of your life without a purpose. Even if you accomplished much in this world. And all those idols you accomplished. You had plenty of money, plenty of sex, plenty of leisure time, plenty of success, plenty of power. People feared you, looked up to you, feared you. People envied you. And God would look at your life and said, you have done nothing. Nothing. Purpose is here. You're not interested. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. That's what Satan's after. Kingdoms of the world. He's so proud. I rule this. He gave This is given to me. I rule this. He still does. He's very proud of it. Proud of it. So now, now, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? 
It means to die. Don't take this any other way. It's all the cross means. It's what it means is death. Now, as we know in our work on the baptism of the Spirit that we saw a week ago, two weeks ago, that when you believed in Christ as your Savior, you were crucified with Him. Romans 6. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have died. So Jesus did it for us. We don't have to martyr ourselves. But He says plainly here, if you are going to come after Me, after the kingdom of heaven, after Me, after My life, My heart, you must pick up your cross. You must die. And this means... And you know, and I've thought about this much. You know, if my will, my desires, my ambitions, my dreams, if they die, then what am I? Don't I lose my identity? You know, it's a key word in all of that. The pronoun I use. My dream. My aspiration. God's like, you know... You have made up an identity for yourself. But would you allow me, who created you, to give you an identity? I have made each of you unique. I have for each of you I've loved as a father loves his child. I have for each of you given you myself. Would you allow me to make you what I want you to be? What I've always wanted you to be? I don't know, God. i got my plans, you know. Doesn't that sound stupid? This is what the Lord is after. And if we understand that we have to worship Him, we have to. Fear, love, worship, service. Fear, love, worship, service. All four in Deuteronomy, all united together. As we close, we'll see that. If then what happens over time, because if you say, I'm going to do those things and worship God, you're not going to see the changes you're looking for overnight. Uh, the world promises, that's, that's another thing of the world. It promises the quick fix. God's, God's interested in changing you completely. And that's a long haul. But you, you'll begin to see. You, take, you start worshiping God. We'll talk about it this week. It requires discipline, by the way. And if, uh, grace-oriented Christians don't like to hear that word. But it takes discipline. I'll show you where Christ is a disciplined man as, as, as the God man walking this earth. He's very disciplined at what he does. He's particular about when and how he does what he does. He's disciplined. And we have to be as well. Now, think if you've had, like I've had for years, a a prayer life that was more or less, I'll pray when I feel like it. How much I prayed? I won't tell you. It's embarrassing. But now I've learned. I discipline myself to pray. And then I read in uh, screw tape letters 
where I think I get. In screw tape letters, screw tape says, yeah, we tricked the humans into thinking their bodily position when they pray doesn't matter. So we got them off their knees. And I read that and I was like, huh. Uh, you know, there's no command to get on your knees. There's no commandment about bodily position at all. And I don't like being on my knees. It's uncomfortable. So I got a, so I got a pillow. <laughs> I needed that. But I got on my knees. And I was like, lo and behold, after practicing this for a little while, it changes the way I, my it changes my attitude. I'm just saying, if you haven't, and you can't get on your knees, that um, I, I highly suggest it. And, you know, if it doesn't work for you, say, hey, that didn't work. No big deal. No big deal. It's not being on your knees that make you a worshiper of God. I'm on my knees to help me be a worshiper of God. It helps me. There's all kinds of things you can do that will help you. We'll get into a few of those this week. God, I love this passage. All right. If anyone wishes to come after me, verse 24, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus, here are the kingdoms of the world. Take them. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very soul? And by the way, the word soul in Greek does can refer to life. Sometimes it's translated life. It's suke. And it, sometimes it means life. And you could put that in here. You're forfeiting what? It's not like you're going to hell, right, if you don't lose your life. Because that would make salvation by works, and it's not. But a saved person by faith can forfeit the life that God designed for them because they refuse to worship God. Or they'll say, well, I, yeah, I'll worship God, but have you heard this before? I worship him in my own way. Well, good for you. I hope your own way matches this. Because if it doesn't, that's bubkis. I don't know why I haven't used that word in 20 years. Where'd that come from? It's just bull stinkiness. Yeah. What will, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man, verse 27 and is going to come in his glory with his father and his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. I am a king and my kingdom's coming. So no thank you, Satan. I don't need your offer. We're going to build this kingdom my way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter takes out his sword and takes a shot at Malchus, the high priest's servant. I've always believed that Peter was aiming for the center of his head and missed cut off his ear. Or maybe an angel diverted that so Peter wouldn't have to be a murderer. And Jesus' response, you know it. Cheat that sword. This is not how we're going to conquer. Mm -mm. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. He who dies with me lives eternally. That is the kingdom. So, worship of the Lord, now close with this. Worship of the Lord is um, 
yeah, fear of the Lord, love of the Lord, and service of the Lord. I swear, just one more passage, and then I'm going to pray. Is this, uh, this just, I want you to see it in the Scripture, and then you can take this with you, and if you want to tune in for the rest of this week, we're going to be expanding on this and truly learning what is it to worship God. Why do we have to do it, and what is it? And uh, so, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. Now look at Deuteronomy 10.12. Because this could possibly be the passage that Jesus has in mind as well. Because they're so similar. But in Deuteronomy 10.12, there are these extra words. In which God puts this all together. The only word of the four that I have there that's not here is worship. 10.12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. You fear the Lord. Which is exactly the same wording as Deuteronomy 6, 13, that we think Jesus is. Jesus could be quoting this passage or 6, 13. But what I love here about 10, 12, is how love of the Lord, service of the Lord, fear of the Lord, and then Jesus changes fear to worship when he quotes. So that is the fourth. So you have worship, fear, service, love. I love him. I serve him. I fear him. I worship him. So what's missing? What are you missing? And if you're not missing... All of us are lacking. You could be the most spiritual believer to ever walk this earth. There's some aspect of worship that is lagging behind the others or lacking. We could have a lot of knowledge, no service. We could have a lot of service, really busy, no knowledge. We could have a ton of doctrine in our brains and no real love for God, which you would find out if you had love for God because you'd love your fellow man. Real easy to figure that one out, actually. And so on. And we all do this. We all, in one of the classes I'm taking at Corbin, we took a spiritual type test. So these tests are designed, there are three tests, in fact, uh, which you're given like two options and you have to pick one. So it's stuff like, you know, uh, study your Bible or go for a walk in the woods and contemplate God. And they say, well, I like doing both of those. But no, you have to pick one. You have to pick one. So you go through all these. There's like 100 questions. And out spits this spiritual type. And I had my doubts about this. But it labeled me perfectly. Yeah. Cataphatic mind. Not catatonic mind. Cataphatic mind. That's what I am. 
Cataphatic means you love God, what he reveals. You're not so much into the mysteries because there's a whole bunch of things where God says, you can't know this. But I'm going to tell you what I am. You'll never know what that is. And like Tozer is an apophatic. Tozers love the mysteries. And I'd say most of us here, probably why you're here, is we're, we're all probably cataphatics. That means you love the revealed will of God. But then, there is, then you can go from heart where you like to feel God or mind where you like to intellectually comprehend God. And I'm, I'm way up on the mind part. So what does that mean? Well, whatever. Bible nerd, I guess. But, you know, it also means you want to explore the other thing. And, and, and look, if it doesn't work for you, Fine, fine, leave it. But I think there's many of us, we get pigeonholed into things, and there's aspects of God like to worship him, you've got, we just read it, serve, love, worship, fear. And we get to explore all of that. We will this week, you know. What's, is there any of that lacking in me? And if you want to know, God will reveal it. That's wonderful to know. And it's wonderful to explore. Because God's not... If, if you're humble and you truly are guided by the Word of God, you're not going to be... God's not going to lead you astray. Let's all discover how we can worship Him better. And let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word, grace, mercy. Thank You for guiding and directing us in the truth that is You. That is to show us, Father, how to actually worship You as fallen sinners, we are distracted by things. And we, we know this, Father. You've revealed it to us. Uh, we are um, oftentimes unbalanced in what we do. And so, Father, we know also, as you have promised, that when we worship you, we will be blessed. Not, it's not by works. It's just by knowing you, walking with you. How can anyone not be blessed by doing that? We thank you, Father, that, that those things you clearly reveal in your word that we may make no mistakes about who you are and who we are and what is our future. As the kingdoms of the world are offered to us even, maybe not to rule them, but parts of it, help us, Father, to have the wisdom to say no and to say yes to your kingdom. And We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll take our offering. What's awesome about being on the left coast is that the Super Bowl starts at a reasonable hour. <laughs> you have to wait till 6.30 on the East Coast. <laughs> Let's pray for our offering. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. We worship you in giving. That's a part of our worship is to be gracious and, uh, Father, we ask that you use these finances to your glory and help us to use them wisely. In Christ's name, amen.
Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be together. Thank you that we have been able to enjoy your word, sing to you together, to be in fellowship with one another. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace has created the royal family of God. In the final moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who wants to become a member of the royal family of God. And I don't mean the member of a church, but of the church who is the body of Christ. You will be eternally saved if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for your sins, my sins, all the sins of the world. He has paid the price. He is offering you a gift. You have to receive it, and you receive it by faith. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died on the cross for the sins of the world, was raised again on the third day. He is the Lord of glory and the only Savior. To believe upon Him means eternal life to anyone who does so. We thank You, Father, for all things. In Christ's name we pray, Amen.